It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June 10th, 2010. We're glad to be on your computer tonight. We appreciate you joining us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is preaching in Georgia tonight. And in his place, Eric Reynolds has come from Fayetteville, Tennessee, to help out with the program tonight. Eric, welcome back the virtual bible study thanks jacob it's always good to join this program and i appreciate the good work you guys do and uh i'm excited to look into the word of god tonight we're, we're glad that you're here and we look forward to hearing from you on the program as well the number to call is 877-381-4567 the email address to use is questions at collegeview.com and you can also join in the chat room with other listeners tonight kevin in hot springs arkansas is in the chat room tonight and john from edmond oklahoma was in the chat room it looks like he's uh gone uh, from there, but he will probably be back in short order, and others will be joining as the program goes along. Follow the instructions on your screen if you're watching us from our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And if you're watching us from ustream.tv, you already have the chat window open on your browser window, and so we hope you'll join in with the discussion there. As we have an important topic planned for discussion tonight, Eric, uh, we're going to talk about biblical financial principles. That's right. You know, there's um, lots of people that have a lot of ideas and advice on how to manage your money, and probably all of us when we were uh, younger, and maybe even still, receive uh, you know advice and instructions from our parents on you know how to manage our finances well. There's obviously entire sections of the bookstore dedicated to financial wisdom, sure. um, whether it be pro- retirement planning or sure. whether it be uh, how to get rich or how to you know how to be successful with your which are my investment strategies, all kinds of things are dedicated. There are people who make a living just uh, giving financial advice. Sure, right, advising people on how to manage their uh, investments and their income. And people pay a good price for financial advice. And the scriptures, though, give us important instructions about our finances, and we don't think about that a lot, I'm afraid. Well, it may be somewhat surprising when you think about how much the world has changed. You think about the economy today. You know, when you so much of it's global, so much of it's on the you know on the internet now. Um, you know, the stock market, and all these things that didn't exist even hundreds of years ago, much less thousands of years ago in Jesus' day. But even going back even way beyond that to the days of Solomon and the the, uh, the book of Proverbs, that uh, there's financial principles there. And even as different as our entire economy is. The principles that God gives us through his word on how to manage money and how to make money and how to spend money are just as true now, even in our fast-paced world, as they were then. Okay. And so we want to look at uh, the uh, biblical financial principles on the program tonight. We'd like to hear from you. What do you think the Bible teaches us about finances? Uh, What are some principles that you use from the scriptures as you manage your finances? Hopefully you do look to the scriptures for instructions on how you should manage your finances. We want to hear from you tonight, 877-381-4567, or email questions at collegeview.com. Earlier this evening, we were a little bit behind schedule uh, with uh, my father being out of town tonight. 
But earlier tonight, we sent out an update to our update list and asked three important questions. Number one, what are some principles that the Bible teaches concerning our finances? Number two, is it a sin for a Christian to borrow money? We may hold that off for a little while tonight, but is it a sin for a Christian to borrow money? What do you think about that? And number three, what are some warnings about money in the Scripture? Certainly there are numerous warnings, Eric, and so we've got to heed those. And a lot of times maybe we focus on the warnings, but we don't look at the advice as well that the Scriptures give us about money. Right. Or maybe 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 advice is too soft to war. Maybe it's instructions. Right, right. And I'm afraid we maybe uh, we sort of overlook some of the the instructions and we say, well, that's just advice. It's just something that it's good to do if you'd like. We wouldn't do that with other instructions from God's Word. Right, right. Uh, but we do in the area of finances. So we'll talk about that on the program tonight. If you have answers to any of those questions, what are some principles the Bible teaches about finances? Well, is it a sin for a Christian to borrow money? And what are some warnings about money from the Scriptures? We'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, send an email or give us a call. The to- number is toll-free. We'll pay the bill, 877-381-4567. Send your comments in through the chat room tonight. Well, Eric, as you said, the Bible has numerous examples and numerous instructions about money, we could start off by looking at uh, what the Bible tells us about earning money. Right. And maybe we ought to say at the beginning, as you mentioned, there's so many warnings about money, and there's warnings about riches in the Bible, that maybe we get a false impression that money is dirty, Okay. that money is corrupt, and money is bad in and of itself. And the Bible actually doesn't tell us that it that money by itself even wealth is a sinful thing or is a is a uh, bad thing. In fact, there's actually scriptures that would tell us there are benefits to having money. I mean, money has its place even in the life of a child of God. Okay, you reference, I think, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, that tells us, For the love of money is the root of all evil, right. which while some coveted after they have erred from the truth and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Certainly the love of money is evil. It's the love of money that's evil. That's right. Money itself, though, okay. is, is not really good or bad it's just neutral it's just a thing that god may bless us with and if he does he expects us to use wisely in fact in that same passage that you just mentioned in first timothy six um in verse 17 he says as for the rich in this present age so he was dealing with uh he was instructing timothy on how to deal with various christians he ran into and he acknowledges some of them are going to be wealthy there's going to be wealthy christians he doesn't say that they should become poor that that's wrong to be wealthy and in fact he just says they are to charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But he tells them in verse 18 to do good, uh, be rich in good works, be generous. He doesn't say charge the, the rich of this world, shame on you. Right. What are you doing being that's rich? That's some horrible thing. Okay. Right? All right. So that's not necessarily evil. In fact, Paul says that he's learned to be content in whatever state he is, whether he is abased or whether he abounds. So we can be pleasing to God and we can be righteous whether we have a little or a lot. It's it's all about our attitude and how we use that money. All right. Certainly there's some warnings about money, Lots as we've seen there in First Timothy 6 and other places in the Scriptures. We'll get to those later on. But the f- premise that we want to establish first off is it's not wrong to have money. You shouldn't feel guilty if you've got if you're, you've been blessed. Here's a couple of Proverbs that go along with that idea. Proverbs 10:15 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. And notice that in Proverbs 21:20, it says that one sign of wisdom is, is having money saved and set aside. It says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So a wise man saves up and has things, and a foolish person just blows through everything that he's got. So there's some wisdom associated with 
managing our what we've been blessed with, being good stewards of the blessings that God gives us, even when it comes to money. Okay, and being uh, the person that God wants us to be by default should help us to be better with our finances. We're not going to be, you know, wasting our money on things that those who are not concerned about serving God would be wasting their, their money on. Right. Hopefully we'll be better workers. We'll talk about that as we go along. What do you think? Is money bad? Is it wrong to be rich? 877-381-4567 is the number to call. We'd love to hear from you on the phone tonight or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. What about money? you think the Bible tells us anything about it? Uh, we'd like to hear from you on the program tonight. So it's not wrong for us to, uh, to, to have things, right. um, even in abundance, uh, in First Timothy chapter six, as we noted, there were rich people there who were not charged to get rid of it. Uh, so there's not necessarily anything wrong with it. How do you how do you get uh, money then? Right. So as we looked at instructions in the Bible on how to acquire money or wealth, we find that there really isn't a secret. There's okay. no um, get rich quick scheme. You know, Paul talks about mysteries being revealed, mm-hmm. but one of the mysteries that revealed is not some secret way to become fabulously wealthy overnight. Okay. The instructions are actually Fairly basic and fairly simple, but yet that's the the bottom line is the way that we get money is simply by hard work and by earning it in an honest sort of way. Okay. All right. Uh, some passages that uh, teach us that, Eric. Well, we look at uh, Proverbs 6, uh, beginning of verse 6, just a, a proverb that we're probably all familiar with, but it, it says that we can learn about um, how we ought to live by going out in our backyard and looking at the ground and watching the ants that are walking around. But notice how it describes the ants. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, or a lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer. She gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So if we don't want to have poverty... If we don't want to have ruin or want, if we don't want to go without, we want to have things, he says, look at the ant. What does the ant do? She works. You know, in the summertime, the ant is preparing bread. In the harvest, they're gathering it in. They're just doing the things that, that we're supposed to do, working with our hands um, to provide for ourselves. Have you ever known a sluggard who was unlike the ant and who had want and need? Because they failed to apply their, their themselves? It's kind of a timeless principle okay. from their day to ours. Certainly, still is today. And, uh, Erica, we see numerous instructions uh, concerning that four-letter word work, and uh, it is a four-letter bad word in our society today by many. Uh, we don't understand the value of work, as the Scriptures tell us very explicitly. We need to be working. In Second uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 3, verse 10, uh, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Right. Uh, the, the scriptures tell us over and over again, Eric, we need to be working in the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect. God had work for Adam and Eve to do in that perfect environment where uh, it was like God had intended it. Work existed there. And uh, we need to understand that work's a good thing. But, you know, so many people, because that's a four-letter word so many people and they, they despise work, they try to come up with any other way possible to okay. get rich. Yeah. And uh, there's even warnings about that. Proverbs 28:19 says... Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Okay. If you have the uh, New King James there, it would say frivolity or frivolous, something that doesn't have any serious purpose mm-hmm. or value. One uh, example that I remember this from my childhood, um, I knew a person that, uh, or I, I remember Dad talking about someone he knew, actually, that had heard about somebody who had invented a perpetual motion machine. Uh-huh. So it was one of these things that's too good to be true. All right. 
but it's going to make millions. And somebody went around trying to get money to invest in right. developing this perpetual motion thing. Yeah. And so somebody who really didn't have a lot of extra money to spare spent way too much money investing in that. And, and it, of course, it, it came to nothing. Because and, he thought this was the next thing. If he gets in on it now, then right. he'll, he'll have more money than he'll know what to do with. And not to say, of course, I mean, sometimes we will make investments that don't work sure. out. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But there are people that are looking for any way besides just plain old hard work right. and chasing after what he calls here worthless pursuits. That was certainly a worthless pursuit, um, just hoping to you know to strike it rich, basically. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com are the ways you participate in the program tonight. Or you can join in the chat room uh, tonight as well. We uh, see that uh, Greg is on the line in the chat room. He's listening down in Georgia. Uh, where he is tonight, so glad to have him there. We look forward to your comments. Uh, join in uh, the discussion now as we talk about uh, what the scriptures tell us about finances. Over and over again, Eric, we're told that we need to be working uh, the, the thief in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him la- rather labor with it, uh, working with his hands, that thing which is good, that he may have to give him that needeth. Uh, the the the, the uh, robber, the thief there, was told, don't be doing that. That's not how you get money. You get money by working with your hands. Another thing that happens sometimes is, even for people who are honest, maybe they're not going to be a thief, but sometimes we want to enjoy the benefits of wealth before we put the labor into it. Okay. And I, I have to say, I've, I've even experienced that. I mean, even you go, you go into a uh, Best Buy, you know, you can have this now, right. and you can pay for it next year or something. Yeah, yeah. And, or it's it wasn't long ago, I think there's sort of this is slowly changing, but the banks would tell you, you know, you don't have to have money down. You don't have to, you know, have hardly anything in the way of capital. You can enjoy the benefits of what what our parents maybe spent years and years and years working and saving for. In in our generation, they're saying you can have all that now without having to work for it. And ultimately, we see that that's you know caused some problems, obviously, with our economy and the situation we're in. There's a proverb that addresses this. Notice Proverbs twenty four twenty seven it says, "Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field." And after that, build your house. So in other words, there's a lot of work you need to be doing. You know, imagine if you inherited a piece of property or you moved to a new place. Mm-hmm. You might be all excited about starting to build a house to live in. Uh-huh. But the wisdom that's in uh, the Proverbs says that we need to first work the fields. We need to put the work in so we have, we're going to have something to provide for ourselves. We're going to have food to eat when the wintertime comes and all that. After we've done our work and all and um, work the fields, then build a house for yourself all right you get things in order and uh you know erica you've probably seen this before someone gets out of high school gets out of college gets a job and the first thing that they do is go and uh and uh, get up to their neck and in, in debt before they've really realized the benefits of, of their labor right all right 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com are the ways you participate in the program tonight arthur in Cullioca, tennessee uh, sends in matthew chapter 27 verse 57 talking about the rich man of arimathea joseph who uh, came to get jesus body uh, so again, rich people were Christians in the New Testament and followers of Christ in the New Testament. Certainly it is not a sin uh, to be blessed financially. It's somewhat ironic as Arthur sends in his email, you know, his, uh, there has been a, a signature attached to the uh, bottom of it that says penny stock jumping 2,000%. Uh, jo- join up uh, for the newsletter that tells you about the penny stocks. So 
you know, that's the, probably added by uh, someone. Uh, that's right. It's added by someone else. Uh, but uh, there's your example of people wanting to get rich quick without uh, without working. Right. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'd like to hear your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we are back on the program tonight. We appreciate you being out there, and we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, If you're watching our video feed tonight, you may give us a comment on how we're looking. We're still working out the technical difficulties, and we're not where we want to be technically yet. More hardware is on the way, and so we should be improving that as we go along. But if you have any comments about that tonight, we'd like to hear them. And if you're uh, listening to our audio-only feed, we'd like to hear if there's any problems on that. Uh, Send us an email. Uh, We'd like to hear from you. As we talk about Bible uh, principles, biblical principles for our finances. Again, Eric, it's a subject we don't think about a lot, but the Scriptures are uh, full of examples, instructions on how we should uh, be managing our finances. Absolutely. In fact, and we've gone there over and over, and we'll continue to. The book of Proverbs itself is chock full of financial wisdom. You know, for that that is still just as true today as it was when it was written. Okay, uh, we talked about the fact that being rich is not a sin uh, necessarily. There are dangers. We'll talk about the warnings as we go along. But uh, that 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 word, that money, and that those riches need to be gained the correct way. Right. Uh, and the scriptures give us a lot of warning and instruction against earning money the wrong way. Right. Absolutely. And, and to go to the book of Proverbs and look at a couple of examples, Proverbs 10, 2, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness righteousness delivers from death. And fifteen twenty seven, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Okay. Erica, we've seen that in the re- recent financial crisis, those who are greedy for unlawful or unjust gain. Right. We've seen the trouble that it come, that brings to them. And sometimes when we think of that, we think of some horrible thing. Like, obviously, unjust gain could be just stealing somebody else's stuff, Yeah. breaking the law. Bernie Madoff kind of stuff. Right. Completely, yeah. you know, taking people for a ride. But there's a more subtle kind of unjust gain that, that maybe would come a little closer to home. Uh, for instance, notice Proverbs 11. Once a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, obviously, in their day, as as they would buy and trade, if you bought grain, if you bought seed, whatever you buy, they would use balances or scales right. to weigh that out. Mm-hmm. And so 
Maybe somebody would have a scale that was just a shade on the heavy side for if they were, you know, selling if or buying. Selling. Or something yeah. that's a little bit on the light side, yeah. you know. And they would use that, of course, to just take a little more than what was really owed to them, what really was fair, or pay just a little bit less than they should have. And I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities for us even today, even though we don't sell and buy things with a set of scales any longer, there's still plenty of opportunities and chances and temptations to shade the numbers a little bit, especially if we do business, um, there'll, there'll be idea, there'll be opportunities to hide some expenses, uh, to exaggerate some expenses, depending on whether we're, uh, um, you know, when we're paying our taxes, there's lots of opportunities to fudge the numbers just a little bit, make them look a little better or worse, just to help ourselves out. Sure. And uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 10, uh, divers' weight and divers' measures, both of them alike are abomination of the Lord, uh, uh, I think in uh, uh, different translations as unequal weights and unequal measures are all disgusting to the Lord, those who would try to get gained by dealing falsely with their fellow man. And you might, if you were back in their day, if you went and you bought a bushel of something, you might never even notice if the weight was off just a little bit. you know. And the person who's selling it might think, well, there's no harm done, you know, it's almost right. But we see, obviously, this is an abomination to the Lord for us to cheat even a little bit to cheat each other in our business transactions. We're supposed to be honest and upright. And so if we have an opportunity to take advantage of someone, or even, and it might not even be a person, it may be a company. Our employer. Our employer. Lots of opportunities where, where we, you know, add to our time or we don't take off when we should be taking off. We, we took an hour for lunch. We only counted 30 minutes. Lots of opportunities to just shade the numbers a little either way just to help ourselves. We just cheat a little bit on the expense report. We put a few extra miles on there. Right. That we didn't, or you know, we charge a little bit more than we actually spent. Right. Yep. Lots of ways that people are doing that. Uh, Kevin in the chat room says fairness seems to be lacking today. Society points toward getting the most for oneself, and certainly it does. And uh, you know, we talk about how corrupt it is in our society today, but we go back to the Book of Proverbs, and apparently they were doing it in that day as well. Uh, so this is nothing new. Right. Uh, but it certainly is something we've got to be aware of that the society we live in is going to be encouraging us to behave this way. We need to realize what God, how God wants us to deal with our fellow man. And sometimes when there's not a face to go with it, if it's like a corporation, okay. right? If it's Walmart or whatever, you know, yeah. or our company, people don't feel as bad for cheating. Yeah, they don't think somehow it doesn't seem as wrong as if it was their neighbor. They might be honest with their neighbor. Okay, but if it's just some nameless company or faceless company, they feel like they can do that. Uh, and if nobody catches them, uh, it won't there won't be anything wrong with it. But Proverbs thirteen eleven says, "Wealth gained." Hastily, or the New King James says, by dishonesty will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little uh, will increase it. If we're trying to, you know, cheat and all of that, it's going to ultimately end up uh, costing us in the end. Okay, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu.com or join in the chat room. And along those lines, in the chat room, uh, K Price eight eleven has asked this question: What about Matthew chapter six verses nineteen through twenty one? Where Jesus tells the disciples not to lay up treasures upon the earth. We said it's not a sin to be rich uh, and that it is okay to have money and to be blessed. And uh, he says, what about Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, where Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now Jesus says here, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Eric I don't know the answer to this question, but I think I know the answer to this question. Do you have a bank account? Yes. Is there any money in it? Yes. Are you violating Jesus' instruction 
in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, to have that money. I'm hopefully, hopefully it's in a safe somewhere uh, where people aren't uh, able to steal it. Are you, are you violating Jesus' instruction by having a bank account, having money? One thing that's important to know is the answer. And one thing that's important to understand, anytime we look at uh, the New Testament in particular, there's a, there's a construction that's often used, that's referred to as a not-but construction. And this is an example of that. Do not lay it for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the, when you see that not-but um, way that an argument is phrased, it is not necessarily saying that the first thing is absolutely unlawful and sinful, but it's saying that the, the other should outweigh it in importance and emphasis and so our focus in our life should be on spiritual things and heavenly things where our where our treasure is your heart will be he says in verse 21 our heart needs to be on heaven our our focus should be there that should be our emphasis it's not saying that it's wrong to have something here laid aside on earth but it is saying that that our emphasis should be in on our spiritual wealth instead. Okay, uh, Jesus used a parable in Matthew chapter thirteen, verse forty-four, beginning and again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hidden in the f- a field, and the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. So Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have things here on this earth. He's saying that our heart doesn't need to be here with them. Our focus in our life does not need to be on the material. And amassing this treasure here on this earth, where moth and rust will corrupt, uh, thieves will break through and steal. But our heart, our focus needs to be on heaven and doing God's will and serving him here on this earth. This is another passage, and I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but it says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but labor for the the spiritual food. Obviously, he's not saying there it's wrong to work for food. That, that's not. That's another example of that not but uh, construction. He isn't saying do not get a job and work so you can have food to eat. In fact, we're told elsewhere that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But what he's saying is, don't. Our emphasis should be on spiritual things, not uh, primarily or even, uh, you know, mainly on physical uh, providing for ourselves. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the number for you to call to be a part of the program tonight. We'd love to hear from you on the phone or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Uh, KPRIZE811 agrees with our uh, conclusion uh, the, uh, of the idea of the proper focus or attitude, uh, but we're faced with struggle daily, he says, and our, or she uh, uh, says that uh, we're faced with the struggle because we do have these things around us, and they are in front of our face all the time. The struggle is not to allow ourselves to place our focus upon uh, the things of this world. And it probably we would be remiss if we did not point out that Jesus does give very stern warnings about riches and how they will make it difficult. He says that um, that it will be easier, of course, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This is in uh, Matthew 19, beginning verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, or I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When they heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? So we've we've gone out of our way to say that money is not wrong and you can't have wealth. But we don't want to take away from the punch here. We want to sure. take away from the warning that sure. certainly um, it, it can make things a lot more difficult for us spiritually if we have wealth because it is such a distraction from our earthly treasure where our heart needs to be okay all right we're looking forward to hearing from you joining the chat room we have some questions for you to consider tonight what are some biblical principles uh for our finances let us know what you think about that 
What are some warnings for our finances? We'll talk about that. And we also want to get into the question, is it a sin for a Christian to borrow money? What do you think about that? We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point, and then when we get back from the bullet point, we'll hopefully take a call or an email from you as we talk about biblical principles for our finances on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're going to take a break and be back. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after these messages. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We've seen a considerable amount of news coverage centered on the legalization of homosexual marriages in states like California and Massachusetts. We've been repeatedly exposed to video footage of men with men and women with women standing before magistrates and exchanging vows. Holding hands and kissing one another, they profess their joy over now being married. We've also seen confrontations between those who support these homosexual marriages and others who oppose them. Unfortunately, the news media has slanted the reporting to suggest that those in opposition are fanatics, weirdos, and hate mongers. On the other hand, the supporters of these gay unions, including some very liberal theologians, have been depicted as kind, loving, tolerant, and understanding. To them, this perversion should be accepted as normal and good. It is apparent that homosexuals and their supporters have no regard for God or His will. The Bible could not be clearer in its condemnation of homosexuality. In Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 24, we read this, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. One would be led to believe that a large percentage of the U.S. population is homosexual and that this new norm of homosexual acceptance, including the right to marry, is natural considering the numbers of people involved. In reality, it is only the result of an aggressive promotion of the homosexual agenda. The National Health and Social Life Survey, which is the most widely accepted study of sexual practices in the U.S., found that only 2.8% of males and 1.4% of females in the U.S. identify themselves as homosexual. This is not a matter that is subject to argument, debate, or vote. The Word of God has already told us homosexuality is a sin. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We'll let you know that this program is brought to you by the virtual or by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We, if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and find out what the College of Church of Christ is all about. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for a period of Bible study, followed by a period of worship at 10.30 a.m. And then we meet again on Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for another period of worship. And on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, we meet for another period of Bible study with classes for all ages. We'd encourage you to come and uh, join us in our assemblies here to find out more about the College of Church of Christ. If you're not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, you can find out more about what we believe and practice by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And if you have any questions or you'd like to study with us about anything that you've heard on this program or on any edition of the Virtual Bible Study, we would encourage you to contact us at any time. We'd love to hear from you. I want to thank Anthony, who's manning the controls tonight, and uh, he is behind the the, uh, the computer and the in our controls there. And uh, Anthony, getting some feedback that uh, the sound, the picture is good, 
and uh, that is looking good. So you're doing a good job. I appreciate it. Good to be back here. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you helping out. Jeffrey is here as well, and Jeffrey's learning uh, how to man the controls as well. He'll be at the at the wheel here before long, and so we appreciate these guys for helping out. Uh, uh, Eric, before we went to the program uh, to the break, we were talking about Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Couldn't find the passage that we wanted right off. Uh, we we should have found it easier than we did, but we finally found it. I think maybe Greg was somewhere screaming at us. What the? <laughs> yeah, I think I heard something coming from down around Georgia, but it was a little muffled by the time we got up here. It's John six twenty seven is what I had in mind. I just I didn't I couldn't get there quick enough. Do not labor for the food that perishes, Jesus says, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, uh, God the Father has set His seal. Jesus says, Do not labor for food that perishes. Obviously, He's not saying literally. Don't work for food. In mm-hmm. fact, we're told, Paul says, if man won't work, don't let him eat. So we have to work for food. But by saying this is another case of, it's basically a figure of speech. It's a rhetorical device. But he's saying, do not do this, but do something else. It's emphasizing the latter over the former. So it's emphasizing laboring for the food that endures to eternal life. That should be first and foremost sure. over the other. Sure. And, and that's the, that's the I think that's the best way to understand, Matthew. Matthew do six, not yeah. lay up treasures on earth he's not saying it's a sin to have something set aside here right i believe he's saying that laying up treasures in heaven should far and away outweigh that and it is a priority in our life okay all right uh, we would uh, you know we considering the ant you know uh, the ant uh, lays up things in store for the winter and right. uh, certainly we can't survive certain times of our life if we don't have something in a stockpile right. uh, but we can't allow that to be the focus of our attention and our, our purpose for living all right, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Give us a call, send us an email, join in the discussion as we talk about biblical principles for our finances. So we've talked about the right way to get uh, these uh, means, the, the money that we have, the wrong way to get it. What do you do with it once you have it here? You know, it's interesting. Again, I, I keep going back to Proverbs. I was studying through Proverbs looking for financial wisdom in that book. And mm-hmm. interestingly to me, the very first one I found on spending money, on money in general, is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. I think it's significant that this is the first one. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's interesting that God wanted the first fruits. What, right. do, what, do, you, what do you take from that? Well, obviously, what's the more common thing to do? No. Is to spend everything everywhere else and then... Uh, when we have done everything we wanted to do, when we've got money set aside for retirement, when we've gone out to eat, when we've had our fun, when we've bought everything that our eye desires, then we look at the budget and we say, what's left over? And Mm -hmm. here's what I can afford to give God, Mm -hmm. if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, That's exactly the opposite of what God always demanded from his people, which was, you honor me first with what I bless you with, and then don't worry about it. And Jesus said it in a similar way in Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added to you. The necessities and all that will be taken care of if we make God our number one priority, and that, of course, applies as much to our, our finances as it does anything else. Okay. Uh, what do you get about taking the, the first fruit? So that, that would have been, and they also wanted the first, and he wanted the best. Mm-hmm. That, that, that takes care of the problem that uh, we looked at in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20, putting treasure here on this earth. Uh, if we're giving God the first, we're giving him the best. That's, that sort of resets our focus, doesn't it? it Puts our priority be. back where it needs to belong. And and his people would constantly get get that wrong. You know, in Malachi, he he blasts them for basically giving him the lame and the useless and giving God what they had no purpose for. You know, what was worthless to them. And 
I think people often, you know, we can be guilty of that if we're not careful with our finances, mm-hmm. uh, making sure we've got all of our bases covered, and then what we don't really have any purpose for, well, we'll give God some of that. Okay. All right. Not pleasing. All right. We need to make sure that we are uh, we are working so that we can uh, return that to God and uh, making that a priority. As we talk about spending our money, uh, uh, Jack in uh, Hampshire, Tennessee, says uh, Malachi 1 is a great passage about giving God the lame and the, and the, the leftovers, right. which we do a lot, as you said. And he, God asked there, he says, give this to your governor. Will he accept it from your hand? Yeah. I mean, you try that with anybody else. Yeah, you'd be ashamed to do that. You would be ashamed. But, but we don't often, sometimes we, we forget that, that's the, that we should honor God the way we, the way we should. Okay. Um, Kevin in Hot Springs, Arkansas, says, uh, we, as we talk about using the money that God's blessed us with, Kevin says, when you group all the verses together, we get more of a sense that we need to utilize what we are stewards over, not just stewarding a savings account. My point is that we should use what we receive. Your thoughts about that, Eric? That's true, and, and uh, I, what immediately came to my mind was that sometimes uh, churches can be guilty of that, too. We, we, we're not called on to basically sit on some huge stockpile of money. I mean, God's blessed us with it, and it needs to be used in his service. And that, that's true as individuals. Um, we're to do good. Okay. Um, that's true as, uh, as churches. We're to use his money to uh, further his cause. Um, but that's a good point. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, again, shows why we work. Uh, let him that stole still no more, but let him rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. We're to provide for our needs with our labor, but we're also to use some of the prosperity that God's blessed us with to help those who are in need. And think of that, even that Ephesians passage is fascinating because of the shift. You think about the two extremes. On the one hand, you have someone who is stealing. They're so focused on themselves and what they want that they would take from somebody else what didn't rightfully belong to them so they could have it. Yeah. He says in, in opposite of that, the, sure. a Christian should work hard, not just so that you can be your self-made man and have your own thing. And enjoy all this for yourself. Right. But work hard so that you can have to give. It's the exact opposite of taking from somebody else so that you can be better off. We should have the attitude of, I want to work, and when I've been blessed by God, we should look around and say, look, I've got more than I need. Who out there could I help? Yeah. That's the that's the heart that really God wants from his people, that we should do good for others. Okay. All right. Appreciate those uh, thoughts from Kevin tonight. Um, all right. All uh, right. Erica, we need to be giving to God, but also we need to be uh, paying our debts. And uh, that brings up the question, is it uh, scriptural for a Christian to borrow money? Uh, What do you think uh, in the chat room tonight? Do you think it's scriptural for a Christian to borrow money or send an email? Uh, Let us know your thoughts. Can a Christian uh, borrow money? Again, Jack in Hampshire uh, sends in an email. He references Malachi chapter 1, when you bring your injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is he is a cheat. Who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrificed a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nation. Uh, Jack says we can't give God our leftovers, and we certainly agree with those comments, Jack. Thank you for sending them tonight. All right, um, what about uh, paying off our debts? Is it scriptural for a Christian to uh, to have debt, to, to borrow money? Anthony, your thoughts on that uh, tonight uh, from the control room? What do you think? Well, I, I, I think the short answer is no. Um, you know, there are some passages. Uh, and to know that it is not sinful? Correct, yeah. I mean, there are some passages that seem to imply if you just read them, you know, on the surface at a, at a quick glance, you know, uh, 
owe no man anything or something along those lines. Yeah, that'd be Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Eric, I think you've got that ready. It basically says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Right, but then we, you know, we, we have other passages that, that clearly imply that you know, borrowing money is, isn't in and of itself a wrong thing. I think the idea that the thing that would be sinful, as we're probably about to talk about, would be borrowing that money and then not paying it back. Okay, we have some comments in the chat room tonight. Uh, Kevin says he struggles with borrowing as a Christian. And up to Zion in the chat room says, No, a Christian should neither be a lender nor a borrower. Uh, Kevin follows up and says, It seems like we should not, but it is so common today. Eric, uh, your thoughts? There's some. Let's look at what the scriptures say about it. Um, Proverbs 22.7 gives some warning. It says, The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is the slave of the lender. I saw today, um, I was doing some study for an, a, a sermon on debtors' prisons that they used to have. And it said, is, there was a graphic that said, um, are debtors' prisons basically coming back where if you don't have money, you go to jail? Mm-hmm. And it showed this picture of someone, and they were sort of behind bars, but the, the blocks were all made of uh, credit card company names, like okay. Visa. You know, We can become a slave to our creditor, to, our, you know, to, the, to who we're in debt to, uh, today, just as they did then, by borrowing so much that we now are unable to do the things that God wants us to do. We're unable to give, like we read about in Ephesians. We're unable to give to God because now every spare cent we have is, is going on late fees, it's going toward interest, it's going to all these things that we've borrowed so we could have the kind of lifestyle we want. And we're, and we're not borrowing so that we can give to someone, typically. I don't know that uh, anybody that I've heard of has racked up an enormous credit card uh, bill because they just wanted to borrow money so they could give it to people. Typically, when we're borrowing money, it's for our, ourselves and for our desires. And so what we do is we handcuff ourselves then, and we're not able to do, as you said, the things that we ought to be doing with our money because we've used it all on ourselves. But I think that it's an interesting point that Anthony makes. Here's a proverb that addresses uh, paying debts. Proverbs 3, 27 to 28 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. And so if we owe somebody something, and that could be in any number of ways. We could we could owe them payment for something that they've done for us. You know, we've had somebody come do some work for us, and now you're supposed to pay them. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be any number of ways that we owe somebody something. It could be that we owe the credit card company because we've, you know, charged up a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. We're not to say, if we have the ability to pay it in any way, we're not to tell them, uh, go come back tomorrow, I, I might pay you later. Uh, we're told that if we have something and it's owed to somebody else, we need to pay it and pay it on time. Uh, that's an important, I think, biblical principle that is uh, many people in the world don't live by. They feel like, well, you know, I don't feel like paying this debt. I just won't pay it or I'll pay some little part of it. And, uh, you know, they can just come after me and, um, you know, they just kind of run from their obligations. Sure. And we hear a lot of people today who are just walking away from their house because they got to end upside down. They got into more house than they could afford. Now they can't sell it. So they just walk away from it. Uh, I think that would definitely be a violation of scriptural principles that we need to be paying our debts. Thankfully, there's protections in our country that where we aren't thrown into a debtor's prison like people would have been just a, not that long ago. Um, in the 1800s, even, they were still debtor's prisons, even in America. Uh, we have bankruptcy now, and but I think that there's some dangers there that that could be abused um, by people that simply don't want to pay their obligations. They don't want to pay their debts. 
All right, Anthony, more comments? Well, no, I mean, I, th- I think it gets back the whole idea of borrowing. Is again, you, you know, you made a good point about you don't we don't see anybody borrowing so that they can help other people. Typically, although I, I'm sure that does happen in some cases where maybe a family member has, uh, you know, medical expenses or something, and and someone will go into debt to pay help them pay those. But uh, I think it gets back to our heart and what the intent is. You know, if we're going out like was mentioned and running up big credit card bills on a uh, jet skis and things like that then that's that's not what we need to be doing but if you look at you know just the basic need of shelter and housing uh, not many people can pay cash for a house uh, there's really not a, a way that uh, to secure a house without having to borrow money now you could say well you should rent a house then well usually when you're renting you have to sign a lease and if you you know so in that sense you're you're still you're signing an agreement that you owe someone money for a certain period of time. So it's kind of hard to escape it when you look at that particular example. Okay. All right. Uh, Kevin in the chat room says, uh, yes, credit cards are a real problem, but I even have questions about my own mortgage or car payment to the point that I've not had a car payment in eight or nine, for eight or nine years but still have a mortgage like most everyone else. Um, Eric, um, any other comments? It's an interesting thing. There is a difference in a um, in both a, a mortgage, for instance, and I, this is somewhat off the top of my head because you know, you're asking me. Okay, go ahead. Um, there is something that has value, and the bank actually owns it. Okay. And you're paying for it over time, and you don't have the deed until you finish paying for it, basically. And that that's somewhat different, at least in my mind, than than some other debt where there you know there's collateral there that is actually worth, and they hold it. And you're paying for it, paying for it, and paying for it, and, to, and you just get to use it while you're paying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, theoretically, at any time, you could sell that, pay them back, and, and you know, be out of that debt, so to speak. Okay. So that's maybe a little different. Certainly, some things we need to think about <laughs> because, as it says, the borrower is slave to the lender, and um, we can certainly get ourselves in a, in a place where it's not good for a Christian to be because of the foolish mistakes we've made with uh, borrowing money. All right, we'll we'll take a break. Go to the top of the hour after this. If you disagree with what we've said or maybe you have other comments to add, we look forward to hearing them. Or if you'd like to add some more of your thoughts about biblical principles we need to be aware of or biblical warnings about our finances. Eric, we need to get into that as we go along. Sure. Uh, Lots of things to cover. Not much time to get there, so we hope you'll stay with us. We'll be back right after. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program. As we're talking about biblical instructions for our finances, up to Zion in the chat room says, I'm completely debt-free and I live in a freedom to give as God gives me the wisdom to do so completely unhindered. And certainly that's a, a blessing. That's uh, a that's a great goal for all of us. Okay. Uh, and and uh, 
Gavin agrees that that is good. Um, so th- th- those are good comments. If you have any other comments, we'd like to hear from them, uh, from you in the chat room or on email over the phone tonight. Uh, Eric, we're to pay our debts with our money. We need to be giving to God, and we need to be giving to others. And uh, the book of Proverbs uh, tells us repeatedly to be generous. Uh, other scriptures do as well. Just to pick a few Proverbs, um, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Uh, the Proverbs 19:17, Proverbs 22:9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, but he for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 28:27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. You know, today we probably so quickly come up with excuses why we shouldn't help somebody, and I think we there are so many scams and there are so many people who just you know are looking for a handout that maybe we let that keep us from fulfilling our God-given obligation to help other people. And we need to be on guard against not, not becoming so cynical and, and cold-hearted that we don't help people when we have the opportunity. Okay, absolutely. Uh, Jesus said in um, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And certainly the scriptures tell us that uh, we need to be helping those who are, who are uh, in need. And when we fail to do so, we'll be held responsible uh, for those failings. Well, just like that First Timothy 6 where it said charge those who are uh, rich. And maybe we don't often think of ourselves as rich. Maybe we always think of, when you think of rich, we think of somebody else, you know, that yeah. lives in another part of town. Yeah. But you compare us to anyone around the globe, and your typical American is wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, we have more than we need to live That's on. right, absolutely. And we, we are the rich people in First Timothy chapter 6. We are, right. And so if he says to charge rich to be generous, to do good, What's going to happen one day if we stand before God and he says, look, this is what I blessed you with. You lived in the wealthiest country the world's ever known, and you, I gave you on a regular basis more than you needed to live on. What did you do with it? Yeah. And if, if our only answer, if the only thing that we can say is that, that man, I was you, comfortable. Man, did you see the house I lived in? I was happy. I lived yeah, large. God, God, I had some pretty nice wheels. And all those people I saw that, that asked me for help, you know, they were all, you know, unworthy of my, uh, uh, you know, love. That's going to be a tough answer. Well, we know how it's going to go on the day of judgment. Right. Sadly, in Matthew 25, verse 35, for I was a hungered and you gave me not, right. uh, you gave me not, I see, uh, um, on the, those who, uh, who would, uh, well, as we go on down in the scripture, those who are going to be uh, punished eternally would be those who saw some people hungry, saw people thirsty, saw people needing clothing, did not provide for those needs. They're going to be held accountable for it. And uh, certainly that's something we all need to consider. Sobering. Uh, yeah, and some, certainly things we can do better in. In fact, that, that passage says that there will be people <laughs> in the day of judgment that what might make the difference is how they treated poor people. Okay. All right. Uh, we've got a question, I think, in uh, the chat room. Uh, or in the email here. Uh, we have an email from Indiana. I have known a number of people that have gotten into so much debt that they file bankruptcy. First, they were wrong in borrowing more than they could afford. Second, they leave the debt through bankruptcy and go on with their life. One failure leads to another. We're talking about bankruptcy during the break, interestingly enough, Eric, and, um, and we talked about the fact that uh, some bankruptcy certainly is sinful, the, the kind of bankruptcy where you would just, as uh, the emailer mentioned, walk away from your debt and right. not pay your debts. Some uh, bankruptcy would not actually be sinful per se, uh, whereas if you get into um, a financial situation, maybe through, uh, as someone in the studio mentioned tonight, uh, you get into a health situation where you accrue accrue bills that you can't pay, uh, some kind of bankruptcy, I don't know what what number of bankruptcy that would be, what chapter that would be, 
but it would allow you to restructure that debt and uh, and actually set it up so that you could pay off the debt that you owe. Right, and there's a lot of ways that we can. You know, the, Jesus says in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, make get together with your creditor while you're on the way to court and work things out ahead of time. Otherwise, sure. when he go, when you takes you to the judge, you will have to pay every cent. You know, you'll be thrown in jail until every cent sure. is paid. There are opportunities that we have to negotiate with someone that we have a debt to a hospital, for instance. You can often sit down with them and say, you know, look, this is something I don't have the money to pay right now. What kind of arrangements can I make? Sure. And usually, as I understand it, I haven't been through it myself, but I understand that they they are usually uh, willing to work with someone and come up with some kind of arrangement. Um, but like you say, what would be sinful would be just to say, I know I owe this and it's legitimate, but I just don't feel like paying it. Right. So see you. Yeah, I'm going to put my money in a Swiss account where you can't get to it, and then I'm I'm skipping out on you. Okay. Uh, now let's talk, Erica, about uh, quickly. We've got just a few more minutes. Uh, warnings about money and uh, our finances. Uh, Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, sends in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, mm-hmm. which is, interestingly enough, a passage that you have mentioned there. Uh, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. And, in fact, I think you have to read the next one, too. When your eyes light on it, so that's riches, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And that, that is so appropriate when you think about in the recent financial trouble that we've had in our nation with the recession and um, stock market you know, jitters and all those things, that people who w- literally one day had this nest egg, they, had, mm-hmm. you know, they could go online, they could look at their portfolio. Yeah. And they get up in the morning and it's gone. Yeah, I, and it's just like an eagle that sprouts wings and flies away while you're looking at it. Yeah. And that's what he that's how he describes riches. It's that unstable. Yeah. I had two dollars in my retirement account and I woke up and it was twenty five cents. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. This flies away. No, uh, uh along those lines, Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse ten says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this also is vanity. Those who um, That's make, the other danger. Yeah, those who make the, this their goal. Who want to be rich and they're working for it and they're just striving for it, it it'll either disappear from them. Or when they get it, they won't be happy with it. They'll just want more. That's the curse of worldly pleasures of any kind. Right. When you seek after them, they leave you thirsty for more. Okay. You drink from that well, and five minutes later, you need more. And, you know, no, you look at the richest people of the world, what are they trying to do right now? Yeah. They're, they're still working. They're trying to get more because you know, no matter what they get, they need more. You, know, you think about the, the billionaires that are still going to work every day and uh, and trying to get more when they could be spending their time using that money to help others. Uh, certainly it shows us the, the fallacy of that. Also, there's a problem that we'll trust in, in our riches, Eric, and, uh, and instead of God. In, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse 17, a passage we've already noted, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. There is a temptation as we get a large bank account, that we begin to view the challenges in our life with respect to how much money have I got in the bank that will help me get through those difficult times instead of trusting on God to get us through the challenges that we face. Do you remember in the uh, 80s, the Prudential commercials, I think they still use this, but they had the rock rock of Gibraltar, right? And the whole idea was that if you invest with Prudential, if you put your money in there, that they're this financial security, they're a rock. And I, I don't know how they're doing now, but I know for a little while even Prudential was going through some hard financial times. But there is no such thing as financial security per se. Um, Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. That It's an illusion 
that you can have enough money set aside that you, it'll take you through life storms. Yeah, it when, won't. When that diagnosis of cancer comes or whatever, all the riches in the world isn't going to save you. Yeah. It isn't going to save you from your sins. Right. And it, cert- it, it might not even last. It might just disappear and rot and corrode and go away. All right. So we cannot trust in them. Uh, that there's other admonitions in Proverbs about our money and the fact that we do need to be good stewards of it, Eric. And, uh, and uh, that certainly is a challenge as well. I thought this was an interesting one along those lines. Proverbs 27, 23 to 24 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. There is wisdom in managing well and keeping up with the state of your affairs and, like you said, being a good steward of what God has blessed us with. And certainly uh, there are many who have had opportunities uh, to be blessed by God, and they have not managed them, right. and uh, they suffer uh, as a result. Right. All right. Uh, so we do need to manage what God has given us uh, well. And uh, there's another instruction about uh, being uh, a cosigner, if you will. This is was this a little surprising to you when you read these? Well, yeah, I've, it, it, it is. And in fact, I mean, this this comes across, and again, it's Old Testament, and so we're not bound by it uh, today. But it's God's wisdom on uh, on this kind of relationship, and I think it's you know, it's still valid today. It's uh, interesting. There's these warnings. Notice how um, notice how vivid this warning is, uh, and it actually comes up at least four times in Proverbs. But I'll look at this one. Proverbs six, beginning verse one. My son. If you have put up security for your neighbor, co-signed for your neighbor, right? have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. If you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep or your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Proverbs 22, 26, 27 says, Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up securities. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Mm-hmm. And the, the wisdom just simply seems to be that if you if you yoke yourself you know, financially to your neighbors, to the people around you, then they can drag you down with them. If they're not wise with their money, if they don't do the right sort of things, you can find yourself financially ruined mm-hmm. by having made this connection to them contractually that now you're obligated to pay for their foolish decisions all right all right uh, certainly uh, some things we need to be careful about uh, arthur in kalioka uh, sends in first john chapter 3 verse 17 talking about us being stewards and using the blessings god has given us as he would have us to first john chapter 3 verse 17 but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him how dwelleth the love of god in him and uh, certainly if we have that uh, situation arise and we do not uh, give when we have the opportunity, how dwells the love of God in us? It doesn't is the answer to that question when we don't provide for the needs of others. Certainly uh, some things to think about. All right, uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27 has been sent in in the chat room as well. Proverbs 24, verse 27. Uh, let me pull that up here. It says, uh, let's see here. Uh, it says, prepare thy uh, work without and make for, uh, make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build a house. We talked about that earlier in the program about uh, first things first, Eric. You know, uh, take care of your business uh, before you enjoy the fruits of the labor. I think that's the moral of that story. Okay. 
All right. Well, we are out of time. Certainly, we could spend another hour talking about what the Scriptures teach us about our finances, Eric. But it's been a great discussion. Certainly, things for us to consider uh, as we as we deal with the, the blessings that God has blessed us with. With those blessings, as someone mentioned in the chat room uh, tonight, with those blessings comes responsibilities, Eric, and we need to make sure that we're fulfilling those responsibilities as we should. And I think the bottom line is contentment is the key to all of this. Uh, Proverbs fifteen sixteen to seven says. 1617, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So if we're like Paul and we can say, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, whether I'm abounding or whether I'm in need, whether I'm whether the money's rolling in or whether I'm wondering how I'm going to pay the bills, if we trust in God and we live faithfully to him and we learn how to be content, then that's the best, I think, financial wisdom we can have. All right, certainly so. Eric, thank you for uh, your time tonight, for the good discussion. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight, and if this is the first time you've joined us, we encourage you to make it a regular occurrence, put it on your schedule to join us every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time for the Virtual Bible Study. We hope you make plans to be back here next week for the Virtual Bible Study. Next week, uh, we will have a, at the College U Church of Christ, we'll be uh, having a vacation Bible school every night at 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. Uh, classes for all ages, including adults. Uh, this will be a period of Bible study, not a period of fun and games like many uh, vacation Bible schools that you may see advertised from time to time. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we would encourage you to come and be a part of that study every week, every night next week at 7 p.m. And then on Thursday night following the Vacation Bible School at 8 p.m., we'll uh, be doing the program. You can come and watch us uh, broadcast live next week on the Virtual Bible Study. We're out of time for tonight, but we hope that you'll hear from us next week on the program. We look forward to studying with you then. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.